Colossal failure from a 2-0 series lead to the Rangers falling in seven games to the Devils. Molly, there's no other way to put it. This was terrible for the Blue Shirts. What a disappointment. What a letdown. So many expectations after last season's run. And then the way they retooled at the deadline with the big names that they brought in, the cap gymnastics and roster, you know, hoops that they jumped through to get Patrick Kane, the days and days that I wrote how they could make it work in the cap. What a waste. What a waste. A lot of the a lot of the people online like that ending line in my story. That's really all it comes down to is what a waste. Waste. Garbage, disposable, <laughs> disgrace, embarrassment. Look up other synonyms while you're at it. You got a whole off season to do it. The Ranger season is over and we'll try to talk you off the cliff. You might need a shot of tequila while you listen to this episode of Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to Center Ice Obviously, any loss in the playoffs is going to feel like a missed opportunity. But mm. when you look at the talent that you have in your room, does it just intensify? Well, talent doesn't mean a thing. <laughs> it's great to have talent, but uh, when you got to play together and work hard together, and obviously the, the four games that we lost, we had two goals. So that was that's the bottom line. I mean, you're not going to win if you get two goals in four games that you lost. We scored five in the other ones that we won, and. You know, like I said, I love to have talent, but you love to have a work ethic and, and more forecheck and stuff like that. And we just didn't get it done. Welcome back to Up in the Blue Seats podcast, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Jake Brown here with Molly Walker and Andrew Hartz. And let's just get right to it. A colossal failure for this team, a team that was expected to contend for a cup was beat by the Devils, a team that's been in the playoffs once in the last decade with a goalie who had 18 career starts, who turned the series on its head. It went from 2-0 to 4-3. The Rangers were outclassed. They were outmanned. And all the talent in the world, which apparently means nothing to Coach Gerard Gallant, who thinks it's not about talent, you know, and his question by our esteemed colleague, Molly Walker, he said, oh, it's not about talent. It's not about having Patrick Kane and Tarasenko and trading everyone to win right now. What did they do? They were embarrassed. Two four nothing shutouts in the swamps of New Jersey. Pathetic. A no-show. An absolute no-show. Me and Andrew were at the Rangers watch party at the Stumble Inn, and we had to stumble home, just like the Rangers are, stumbling home. It's like they were drinking the free high noons, and we weren't. We were drinking on the Rangers tab. They should have got me caviar with that. What a pathetic showing. This team was destined for a cup with this roster, and instead it's a first-round exit, a team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals, now wins seven less playoff games this time around. Kane's a free agent. Tarasenko's a free agent. 
a couple of restrictive free agents in Miller and Lafreniere. And there is no positives to take out of this season, Molly, because a first-round playoff exit and a nice regular season is nothing to write home about. And now the Rangers will write home, they will ride home and to the offseason and a very questionable offseason with not a ton of money left to spend. There's going to be moves to be made. Maybe someone gets uh, gets cut. Maybe it's Kalant. Who knows? But this is a disgraceful ending. Congrats to the Devils. They just outman the Rangers, but that should not have ever happened. Man, Rangers fans are pissed off and rightfully so today. I definitely think that this one hurts 10 times more than what happened last season. And I think that's probably the biggest thing to take out of this. Honestly, it's such a colossal letdown. You look at this team on paper and I genuinely wholeheartedly believe that years down the line, people are going to look back at this roster and this lineup and just think how the hell did that team not get out of the first round? get out of the first round, let alone go on and win the Stanley cup, because the team that I saw in games one and two was absolutely capable of it. They got comfortable. They seemed pretty impressed with themselves, thought that it was going to be a coast to the second round. And you know, you got to tip your hat to the devils because they made such strong adjustments and how they defended the Rangers power play just completely took it out of the series. The way that they pushed the Rangers to the outside the change that they made in goal, the Devils had something to rally behind. And, you know, the Devils had nothing to lose in Game 7, and the Rangers had everything to lose. And I think that's what we watched play out on the ice. Just disappointing is really the word that comes to mind. And and I don't blame Ranger fans for taking this, this season's loss in the first round three times as hard as they did falling short of the of a Stanley Cup final berth. And Molly, on top of that, the Bruins were eliminated. Like the path was there. It was clear. It was like Rangers to the cup. You just got to get past Carolina, get past either, you know, Florida, whoever. And you had a chance to win a cup. Colorado was out. The West was clearing up. And it was like Noah's Ark. It was opening up 40 days and 40 nights until a Stanley Cup championship. I don't know if that made sense, but I tried my best. <laughs> and how it ends like this. And to a rival across the Hudson to a state that is not as good as we are in New York, it is a damn shame. Andrew Hartz, our resident Ranger fan, I know you were pissed off too. You were getting emotional standing next to me last night. Are you okay today or are you in a state of depression? It's not so much depression. It's just feeling numb. That's that's what it feels like. It's, it's numb because, like Molly said, when you look at this team and you look back on it, I, it's going to be like for me – the Yankees in 2006, where the Yankees had, that was the whole murderer's rope and Cano, where you look and you see all these Hall of Famers and these all-stars in the lineup and you go, how do they not win? And honestly, that's how this team is going to be. And you think about Patrick Kane, future Hall of Famer, Vladimir Tarasenko, Chris Kreider, whose number will probably be hung up in the rafters, Igor Shosturkin, young players, Artemi Panarin, Keandre Miller, all these guys where it's just, it's promise. And we watch this team. All three of us watch this, including Larry as well. We watch this team produce and look great in game one and game two. And then just something flipped once the Devils won in overtime. And I'm sorry for a team that started the series 2-0 for them to essentially go 4-1 and the rest of the way. That's just beyond unacceptable. And it's frustrating. It's disappointing. 
it's 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 mind numbing. And and that's why, you know, even watching last night, just going home and just thinking about how we got here, it, the whole series in my mind comes to the first goal that was scored last night, a shorthanded goal, unnecessary, very sloppy, just not well prepared for that situation. The Rangers came out looking like they didn't want to play. They came out looking slow. The Devils, and I know this is very cliche to say, and I tweeted it last night as well too, the Devils look like the team that wanted it more. And in game seven, you need to want it. And the Rangers just didn't look like they wanted it. And I don't get it. I don't understand. It was the two shutouts for me. How how does a lineup with this star power not find the back of the net once. And I am not taking anything away from Akira Schmid. And it it almost pisses me off how many Ranger fans are not giving Akira Schmid as much credit as he deserves. This is a 22-year-old goalie, rookie, playing in his first ever playoffs. He comes in with his team down 2 nothing, dead in the water of this series, and he rose to the occasion. He gave them key saves key save after key save he was steady his demeanor flowed up through the rest of the devil's lineup and this was a, an infant back there basically and you know what the rangers did not test him nearly enough they did not capitalize on that opportunity in front of the, in front of them they had opportunity after opportunity to make the necessary adjustments to change even just a little bit their game plan of how they were going to pressure this kid and it just never really came through. It didn't really, he made big saves. He really did. But it just didn't feel like he had nearly as much as a, of a workload as Igor Shosturkin did, especially as the series unfolded, obviously. I, I really give all the credit to Akira Schmid, but for these guys not to score once in two games and score two goals in all four of their losses, the disparity in the scores was one of the craziest thing to me of this series. It really was a layer that I probably was not expecting to unfold in this series at all. Schmidt started 14 games this year. You're right. He was great, but he was nine and five. Schmidt was mid this season. That's just what he was. Let's be real. He showed up and four games, two shutouts cannot happen. Get a refund. Give the fans a goddamn refund and refund the toll too. refund their easy pass. For making the trip to New Jersey, I noticed game seven, they were shooting his glove side a lot, and he had it locked down on the glove he side. Did. I don't know if you could have adjusted in between the pipes, you know, shoot to his non-glove side, but he was every big save he made, and the Rangers had opportunities, but like Hart said, it looked like the Devils wanted it more. What do you think of Gallant's response to your question um, about talent, Molly? What do you think of his answer? I don't think he's necessarily wrong. You know, there were a lot of times in this series where the team looked like a collection of stars rather than an actual cohesive team. And a lot of the times it kind of felt like they were just waiting, waiting for it to happen for them instead of actually going out and doing it, that they thought that they can rest on their laurels and and on their on their uh, skill and and their you know high end talent that they had in abundance on this team but as chris Kreider always says the will comes before the skill and that part never really showed up in the rangers game and if you look up and down the lineup you could probably count you can count on one hand the guys who really showed up in this series you know igor shesterkin Nico Mikola, Chris Kreider. I even though he had a tough game seven, Chris Kreider showed up in this series and did his part. Then you go around Mika Zibanejad, one goal. Artemi Panarin, zero goals. 
Patrick Kane had one good game. And again, Patrick Kane is is not the player that he was. You know, he's clearly been labored since he came to New York. So, you know, that's a whole different discussion about whether or not getting him was the right decision for this Rangers team. The kid line, not that great. Not that Alexi Lafreniere, zero points. It, it just across the board, a lot of this team did not fully show up in this series. It was it was just a, a lot of mid, like a, a lot of mid performances and a lot of downright really disappointing performances. And, you know, when you have the skill that they had not to produce, it just is such a such a letdown. And I, it doesn't, you know, last season when they went up to nothing against the Lightning and, and lost four straight, it was a completely different series, completely different circumstances. The Rangers were gassed. They were hurt. You couldn't say that about this team. They didn't look gassed. They didn't look, it it just looked like there was no urgency, no oomph, no, you know, going out and taking it. And it just ended in an absolute first round flop for the Rangers. And and somebody will probably have to answer for this. Do you think Gallant should be fired? There's arguments on both sides. And I'll start with with why he shouldn't be. Here's a guy that that led this team to -to back-to-back 100 plus point seasons. You can't argue with that. The Rangers have gotten into the playoffs easily the last two seasons. They've been locked in months before the end of the regular season. And that's just not anything you could ever take away from Gallant. The other thing, the options out there, not that great. Uh, You know, there's been some conversation about Joel Quenneville. Maybe, yes, he's probably the best option out there right now. Do the Rangers want that PR nightmare after everything that he went through in the last year? Probably not. Does he want the spotlight of New York after everything he went through in the last year? Probably not. Doesn't really seem like a good match. Peter Laviolette, one playoff win since 2018. Is that the guy who's going to take the Rangers to the next step? I don't know. They just missed Barry Trotz. You know, like I, I don't I don't necessarily think that there's anybody better out there at the moment, which I think should probably play a big role into it. Andrew, you have a thought? Can I ask you about someone that they interviewed in the past who oh, yeah. works a studio position, who, who has a banner up in the rafters? Could someone like Mark Messier? I know he doesn't really have the experience, but and it's always tough to fire a franchise icon if it doesn't work out. But could he be an option? I think that if they wanted him to be an option, it would have happened already. It would have happened before Gallant, I think. So, but again, who knows? Who knows? Maybe they do. Maybe they do think that a guy like Messier could could be the one to help them take the next step. Uh, and who's to say that he wouldn't be able to? But I don't know if there are a, there are better options out there than Gallant right now. Why he should be fired? Um, is also there's plenty of arguments there too as well. You know, how did he not get this team up for a first round playoff series against a quote unquote rival? Oh, how did this team post zeros in two games? Of course, a lot of that falls on the players, but, and I understood the Rangers point of view that they're not a team that needs to make big speeches. They're not, you know, Jacob Truba is a lead by example, kind of captain, not necessarily the helmet tossing guy that we saw in December that's their thing and that's totally fine but it was so clear that this team needed to be fired up by something or someone and oftentimes that comes down to the coach whether you know he's 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 never been a big pregame speech kind of guy but there's a way to to go about it I'm sure that doesn't include doing things like that 
So I think it does fall on the coach's shoulders when the team does get up for the biggest time of year. Um, I think that Lindy Ruff made the adjustments in this series and Gallant didn't. I think Tarasenko was grossly underused. I think that the adjustments that were made later in the series felt a little bit too late, but of course, why are they, why would they change anything after those first two games? But maybe after game three, there should have been some sort of adjustments, you know, just so that they're not deploying a brand new lineup in an elimination game six, which of course worked out to their favor, but it wasn't so much of, you know, it was more so the devil's not rising to the occasion in that game. I think there's arguments for both sides. You know, I, sometimes I think that Galant's coaching style might not be the best fit for certain guys on the team, like an Artemi Panarin. So I think there's a lot of layers to be taken under consideration here. And it will be really, really interesting to see where they go from here. But of course, you look at Turk's track record. He's never made it through a third season as a head coach in the NHL. So it's kind of like, do you just do it now? Or does the track record speak for itself? And and do you want to leave it up to chance that you're going to have to do it in the middle of next season, which obviously nobody wants to be making a coaching change in the middle of the season either. So it could go one or two ways, but I, I really don't know what the right answer is. It's kind of dependent on what the Rangers value more. You know, you got to answer questions on the ice too. Like Kane and Tarasenko, they're not taking hometown discount discounts. No. I don't think to stay here for a few million. So this is going to be a different roster, Molly, going into next year. And it might take a big trade. It might take, you know, not bringing back, you know, a Lafreniere. It might take a decision that might anger some people, but there has to be changes. You can't just roll out the same team three years in a row. Yeah, I mean, the fact that the Rangers are going to be right back where they started probably at the start of the season before the trade deadline without two top six right wingers is pretty concerning. Uh, because that's just that's what they've needed to get the last two seasons at the trade deadline. And it's worked out, you know, both seasons in terms of who they acquired. I think that I don't think there's a chance for Patrick Kane to come back strictly because, you know, I don't know if he's going to have to have offseason surgery, you know, not be able to start the season right away. I don't think the Rangers would be interested in that, nor do I feel like they can afford him. Tarasenko might be amenable to taking a bit of a, of a discount to stay. But I think that depends on, on, on a, on a few things. Uh, But I also am not going out saying that that's likely either. They're going to probably want to try and and plug Lafreniere and Kako back into the top six, but it didn't work. It hasn't worked out. It just, it just hasn't worked out at all. And it's looking like Barkley Goudreau and Jimmy VC are going to be the two top six right wingers, you know, but that's only if if nothing really drastically changes. And I do think that there will be at least one drastic change, whether it be not bringing back Lafreniere or or trading Barkley Goudreau, because um, you can't have a fourth liner making over $3 million a year. It's just, it's not practical. The Islanders, I feel like, are, are, are an example of that as well. So, but that's the thing. Barkley Goodrow is probably the best option they have for a top six right winger, though, at the moment, at this moment in time, um, in terms of track record, because Lafreniere, I mean, Kako, Kako um, had some, had some decent stretches and maybe he would benefit from, from a long run in that position. But uh, it's, it's really, it's tough. There's a lot of tough decisions ahead, uh, how much they want to change, how much they don't want to change. Um, and I guess we're just going to have to see how it all uh, plays out here. Is this 
just all a thing for Chris Drury to kind of figure out in terms of roster construction, just because it's like you said, they're they're winding back up in the same situation where we started the year. And then you're going to have to go out and do the same thing all over again. God willing that the Rangers are as good or are in a position to uh, make a run for Stanley Cup playoffs. Is, is is this a Chris Jury problem? Is this just like what the Rangers have gotten themselves into? Like, like how how does he fix this at this point? It's definitely a Jury problem. I mean, he's the guy that's assembling the personnel on this team. And I think a huge issue for the Rangers with what they have now, they haven't transitioned guys onto the right side as much as they have an abundance of left left wingers. They don't have any right wingers. And these players are capable of making the switch. It's just a matter of actually, you know, committing to it and making them figure it out. Like Lafreniere did hasn't had, you know, he's had stretches, but nothing really long term or anything like that. Because it but again, it's because it's not working out. So that also makes sense too. It, it's definitely it's definitely a construction thing. Look, I, there's an argument to be made that they they went too all in on skill. But, you know, I think I said this to you before we started recording, you know, someone asks Chris Jury during breakup day, you know, was getting Patrick Kane a mistake. I could tell you right now what his answer is going to be. You have the opportunity to acquire Patrick Kane for as little as he did. You take that every single time. Every single time, because a Patrick Kane operating at 50% is still better than than probably half the NHL. So not to say that, you know, those moves were the wrong moves, because I, I really don't think they were. This is the genetic makeup of the Rangers. They are a high skill team and they are a team that is so, you know, dependent on their individual talent. So the route that Drury took is was kind of embracing that, which is not, I don't think that was necessarily the wrong thing. You know, the Rangers have never been apologists for having a star goalie over these, you know, couple decades now, and they shouldn't be. They do have that, you know, to their advantage. And it should be that when that, with that net, and then a team that can outscore anybody, nine out of 10 times, that's a winning formula. It's just a matter of going out and executing it. And that's not what happened this postseason at all. But it definitely is on Drury to to reevaluate how this lineup is constructed, what sort of pieces he wants to add. Do the Rangers want to add a bit more toughness and a bit more sandpaper to line up to make it less homogeneous? I think so. You know, I think that might be at least at least one player will probably come in and have that sort of genetic makeup to try and break up this high skilled lineup that they have that, you know, is gets bodied off the puck, you know, is, is shooting from, from far away. It's just, it's, it definitely got a little bit too much of a one note with this team. So that might be a starting point uh, for jury this off season. But that's where I'm kind of curious about in terms of the coaching. And I know, you know, we, like you mentioned, there's reasons to bring Gallant back reasons to let him go. My thing is personally, like you said, these players are capable of moving. Is it just a matter of coaching that that these guys don't know how to coach them to play the way that would fit the system? Is it that that the players just don't have the talent? They don't they don't have their they're too much one ways. Like that's that's where I feel like at least coaching wise, again, like you look at a guy, and I know this is completely different, but look at a guy like Capocaco. Capocaco was taken right after Jack Hughes, right? Yeah. 
And both of them during that that whole draft pe- process and the period and everything like that, where they were talking, they go they they can go one and two or 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 you know cock both you. Yeah, it could have gone either way, and it just so happened to fall that now the best player in this series was Jack Hughes, no doubt about it. And Kako just a guy has just never really developed. Is that a problem that the Rangers have in terms of developing these guys? Because again, look at Alexi Lafreniere. I mean, I know that draft class was not great, and and he was the consensus number one, yeah, right. And he just he hasn't really developed here. Is is that a problem that the Rangers have in terms of coaching and developing players? I think development has has been at the forefront of some of the Rangers' issues over the years, but it mostly falls, you know, it, it's manifested in in players like Vitaly Kravtsov and Leos Anderson, who have just been colossal letdowns again. But I think with Lafreniere and Kako, I think their circumstances have also impacted. Like I think Lafreniere, Lafreniere could go somewhere else and be a star. I think that there that is totally a possibility. I don't think that Lafreniere and Kako have been set up for success as much as they could have been on other organizations that didn't have the top six that the Rangers have. But you look at the, like, who who are you taking out of that top six to make room for Lafreniere and Kako? Nobody. You know, Artemi Panarin once said to me, the left side's pretty crowded. You know, Laugh's going to have to figure out how to get it. It's true. He's not wrong. It's it's an absolutely loaded left side. So he, you know, he's going to have to make it work if he wants to make it work with the Rangers organization in general. I don't know. I'm not as you know well versed on the nuances of what it's like to coach a player to switching to his offside, but in the sample size of games that we've seen, a guy like Lafreniere try to try it out, it just it just hasn't worked. And you're not going to make Chris Kreider a veteran who's been thriving in the spot that he's been in for the last two seasons. You're you're not going to move that. You know why would you do that? Especially last season. I remember when there was you know some talk of, to to Galant about switching Kreider because it wasn't working for Lafreniere. My guy scored 52 goals last season, you know? Like, are you going to really take him out of, uh, out of a situation that he has thrived in? No. So whether if it's a development thing, I think it's more so of the circumstances in the hand that Kako and Lafreniere have been dealt. They just haven't been set up or introduced into a that sort of top six, you know, high caliber NHL player workload that they might have gotten on other teams. And I think that that has forced them to work with what they have. And it at times has manifested in them, you know, being better together than they are apart, those three guys. And that has worked for the Rangers at time. It worked for them last season, that's for sure. But there's just something about this this postseason that, you know, the kids were right there with everybody else, just not that great, not not very impactful. Um, Philip Heedle signs uh, an extension. You know, you think he's going to come out like a bat out of hell, looking to prove himself. You know, it just n- just never really came through. None of it ever really came through. But I think it's I think it's a toss up. It's tough to say if it's a development thing for the Rangers because I don't really look at those guys as I, as they're still developing. I, I really don't. You know, they're in their third, fourth, you know, years in the league at this point. It's time. It would be it would be around time for them to be maybe changing of the guard with the top six, but that's the thing they're not. You know, the top six that the Rangers have has been Mika Zibanejad was their best player all season, you know, straight up, and you know he comes back and in the playoffs, and it just was a tough time for him. So it's it was just a lot of letdown, a lot of letdown across the board. 
colossal failure, colossal disappointment. Colossal is the word of the day here in Rangers land. It's, they have hit another crossroads this offseason. Lots of decisions to be made, lots of changes to be made, and Rangers fans are left outside in the streets of Newark having to hear Devils fans play the goal song outside of my guy Kevin's American Whiskey uh, in New Jersey, and they're all playing the song, dancing, and they have every right to do so. Embarrassing. Two wins away from the Stanley Cup Finals last year, two wins from the second round and a chance to go on another run this year, and now it's all over. Rangers fans are left watching the Knicks. The Yankees Yankees be terrible. The Mets be mediocre. And on to the next sport here in New York. We will close out this very colossal, disappointing end of Up in the Blue Seats next. I don't think anybody quit on our team. I don't think there was a, a lack of will or determination. I thought uh, we fought till the end. Give them credit. They, they played a good game. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't have answers for you right now. Alrighty, that says goodnight to episode 124 of Up in the Blue Seats, our Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Andrew Hartz for helping me in producing the show. Now, this could be the finale. If Galant is fired, we will bring you another emergency episode. Um, before Molly, hopefully you take a nice uh, vacation. Got any uh, trips planned besides Raleigh? Now that you, I guess, aren't going to Raleigh, unless they make you uh, cover the Devils, and then you do have to go to Raleigh. No, no, there will be no trips to Raleigh this season. I'll probably take a week off shortly after all the off-season stuff wraps up for the Rangers. They got breakup day on Wednesday. I don't even know what day it is. Yes, tomorrow, Wednesday. Going to go to the Bahamas with my friends later in the summer. That's the only thing on the itinerary right now, but... Yeah, it's definitely a, a lot earlier of an offseason than last season. I think part of you is happy that you get a break, but part of you sad because what could have been? Like, you could have covered a championship team for the first time in your career, and you being still, you know, in your mid-20s, the Rangers were unfortunately mid and not, you know, veterans like they should have been. And it would have been cool for you to get to, you know, be part of a parade. Maybe Molly Walker and Larry Brooks on a float down the Canyon of Heroes. <laughs> would love to see it. I really, I really thought this team was capable of doing it, especially after watching them in those first two games. I really was like, well, I'm fully prepared to be working through June after what I saw in games one and two. They were just spectacular. So I think to get a taste of what we thought we were going to see for the entire playoffs, only for it to end the way that it did, was definitely disappointing for everybody involved, even even them. You know, no, mo no one more than the team in that locker room. And I can tell you that firsthand, just judging by the looks on their faces, it just absolutely stunned the fact that this roster could not get it done. That's how she goes. In good times, in bad times, <laughs> yeah. I'll be there evermore. That's what these crappy teams are for. Uh, outscored 10-2 in the first two games, and then in the four losses, 13-2. Talk about a turn of events, and boy, that escalated quickly. Well, you could catch up on all old episodes. You got an entire off season to do it. 
on the New York Post Sports YouTube page. Just search for Up in the Blue Seats and Apple, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. And to follow Molly's off-season adventures on Twitter, at Molly Walker, two E's, two R's. And if you're a Mets fan, amazing but true, and follow me at Jake Brown Radio. For Molly Walker, Andrew Hartz, I'm Jake Brown. We'll see when we're back. If Glance fired, we'll see you. If not, I guess we'll talk to you next season. Thanks for listening to Up in the Blue Seats all season, and take care, everybody.